0: slime mold it sounds gross right and if you see one in the woods you're probably going to see why it got that gross sounding name they usually just look like a frothy ooze of mucus or something but angela melee knows better because she's seen them up close
1: under magnification you can see a lot of them look kind of like little baked goods a lot of them have sort of like a thin like chocolatey covering encasing like a cookie interior (laughs) I think about dessert a lot while I'm drawing them and then others are really extravagantly colored iridescent you know like a butterfly one of my favorite species looks a little bit like iridescent corn dogs on white sticks Melee'
0: is an artist and a museum studies person in Seattle, and she has glimpsed the invisible wonders inside the slime mold. And in fact, she's been kind of obsessed with these things for the last couple of years. So now she's designing a whole exhibit around the 400-year history of people like her who are fascinated with researching and drawing these gross-sounding organisms. I caught up with her in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood, where the house she's staying at is littered with drawings and models and cardboard cutouts of slime molds.
1: The first slime mold illustration was made in 1657, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, they were being collected all over the world and drawn by lots of different people and drawings and letters were being exchanged among slime mold enthusiasts.
0: Do you know why? What makes them special or different from other mold, or say a lichen or just other kind of nondescript stuff that you might come across in the forest?
1: Well, their life cycle works like nothing else. So for a long time, people have wondered what exactly they were. Um, they, you know, they creep like animals in the first part of their life, and then they fruit like mushrooms. So a big part of the intrigue was just sorting out what exactly they were. In the first stage of their life, they are creeping and traveling and sending out sort of dendritic patterns, like a, like the pattern of a river delta or a tree. In that stage, they're, they're just one cell, but sometimes they can be many, many feet long. And you might see that creeping oh, along. Oh, really? Leaf litter, yeah.
0: Wait, uh, many feet long, but one cell?
1: That's right, yeah. They have many, many nuclei encased in one long, blobby cell wall.
0: Whoa. What would a completely layperson out for a walk in the woods looking down and seeing a slime mold see?
1: Well, you would either see that long, blobby, one-celled thing creeping along slowly or you would see the fruiting bodies, the little um, sometimes iridescent balls on sticks. You might see dog vomit slime mold, one of the most common species, and that's kind of like a bright yellow blob that might be covering your mulch pile or something like that.
0: Gosh, why do they call it that?
1: Uh, well, it looks a little bit, <laughs> a little bit gross to some people.
0: I think it's pretty cool. How did you get into slime molds. What um, awakened your curiosity about them?
1: Uh, I was studying mushrooms in North Florida where I'm from and I was going to school for art and my most successful art projects came from just drawing what I found on the ground during my walks in the woods and a lot of what I found was fungi so I just became really interested in them. I got a microscope and as I collected them I I started to see slime molds so I started to learn about those things too.
0: Tell me a little bit about the um, exhibit that you're working on.
1: I've been working with slime molds for the last couple of years, illustrating a field guide to Australian slime molds for, for a guy that's um, famous for studying them. And I'm really interested in how um, nature gets portrayed differently throughout time. So depending on where you live in the world, what's going on in, in your society at the time, how your representation of something like slime molds turns out based on that.
0: So who are some of these people from the 400-year history of slime moldology, that are interesting to you.
1: Yeah, so there's Miss Lister, Juliana Lister. She was the head of the British Mycological Society in the early 1900s, and she lived in England with her father and her family, and she really made slime molds famous throughout the world. People were sending her specimens in boxes from Japan and India and all over the British Empire, and she drew every single one.
0: Do you get any sense of what fired her up about slime molds what it was that captivated her about them
1: i actually have a quote one quote is i cannot hope to convey an adequate idea of the charm these hunting grounds possess nor how refreshing it is after the eye has been long and intently searching close to the ground to look up and survey the general landscape which often includes a vision of dazzling snow peaks seen under the blue of the sky so she kind of ties in an experience of searching for slime molds but then looking up and remembering that they're part of this much um, huger landscape.
0: Okay, so we have Miss Lister, the poetic Victorian naturalist. Mm -hmm. Any other characters in this strange story?
1: Yeah, another one of my favorites is a Japanese guy, Minakata Kumagusu. Uh, When he turned 19, he sailed to San Francisco and then went to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, studied mycology. And then to the Caribbean, and he joined a circus.
0: Do you know what he did in the circus?
1: Yeah, he drove an elephant.
0: So he was an elephant driver in the Caribbean circus in between scientific expeditions.
1: Right, yeah. And again, you know, you can find slime molds anywhere you go. So he was looking for slime molds and fungi all the way and collecting them, and then eventually took them all back home with him to Japan. He made a lot of illustrations of psychedelic mushrooms.
0: There is something psychedelic about the illustrations of slime molds, too, I have to say.
1: Some people tell me that. I'm just drawing what I see.
0: So, Angela, what's it like to build your early budding career around something that um, most people either don't think about, or if they do think about it, they think gross?
1: It's very satisfying. A couple summers ago, I got in trouble for letting kids in my summer camp class take home roly-polies. The kids and I would go out into the, the yard every day and like pick up little things to draw and take it back inside and put it under the microscope. And Most of the kids had never looked at stuff under a microscope before, so they were all in genuine, endearing awe, and that was great. They wanted to take them home, and I gave them little Dixie cups, and then I guess their parents complained at the end of the day. Experiences like that make me all the more adamant about portraying soil organisms and insects and slime molds as, as beautiful living things. And I think that's what all of these artists that I'm talking about have tried to do. have tried to convey how amazing they are and how they're just, yeah, another important element of the bigger world that we see around us every day.